Welcome, gentle persons, to the third episode of a six-part Capitalist Radio mini-series entitled Coffee Conversations, hosted at the Global Delights Roastery and Tasting Room in Eugene, Oregon, Java Journeys for your mind and palate, as well as surrounding esoterica. I am Kaplowitz Media. You can find me at kaplowitz.xyz. That's K-A-P-L-O-W-I-T-Z dot X-Y-Z. With me, as ever, is Michael Lambros, globaldelights.com. And I got to say, for this one episode, I'm a no-good stinking liar because I'm actually in my spare bedroom and not at the Global Delights Roastery and Tasting Room in Eugene, Oregon, because uh, it's been a week, Michael. It's been a week. It's been a long week. Oh, it's it's been a long yeah. week. It's been a busy week. I I thought I I thought I was under the weather a little bit, so I put off our recording in person as to not spread whatever I might have. Turns out what I had was I needed a nap. So um so that's good, you know not not very scary. I just I just had to go to sleep. So um here we are, episode three, uh, the topic of which is history. Now, history is a beefy, juicy topic as all in everything, but in coffee in particular, we're going to uh, we're going to try to uh, not bombard with information. We're going to try to be infotaining as I'm prone to being, but we are going to touch on some stuff that might not be the prettiest stuff that's ever been touched on. Um, And I think I'm going to start here at the beginning. Uh, Michael, I know we talked about you're going to take the lead on this because you're the expert. I'm just the pretty face. But I am going to kick us off by uh, introducing the topic of history. At the very beginning, uh, back when an Ethiopian shepherd noticed a wayward goat, or maybe goats, uh, were always coming back from their waywardness to the flock, and they were, they were super happy. And sometimes one would be wearing a silk scarf when he got back. Sometimes another one would be reciting poetry. And he figured, what are they doing over there? And he found out that they were, of course, well, that's all, that, that's, is that real? Michael, is that the story? Uh, no, yes. I mean, it's a myth. It's all myths. There's possibilities of seeds of truth within it, but it is a colorful story, and I'd, I'd love to elaborate on it. There's a pretty cool story, you know, depth that goes to it. But I do have to also say that that is actually not the first um, observation or discovery of coffee. It does go back much, much further, but not in a consuming standpoint, more from a medicinal so whenever, you know, you'd like, I can kind of throw out the little timeline there. And then going to the gentleman you just mentioned, his name was Caldi, according to the story. And mm. he was a, a goat herder, a shepherd, but he um, did a little bit different in the sense of how it all played out. So if I might, could I, could I kind of re-determine? Oh, yeah. are, 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 you say, are you saying I had it wrong that goats weren't coming back from obvious trips to the cafe? 
And well, no, no, but yeah, and it's you, funny because you know all of us enjoy wine as well, and it's funny how it's always a, a it's goats that figure out these really good things for us to eat and drink that get us all giddy or procked up on you know somewhere or another. So there, they there know must stuff. be something to it. <laughs> yeah, regardless <laughs> of the truth of the story, pay attention to where the goats go and what they eat. That's basically what it comes <laughs> down to. <laughs> but, so for for the the accuracy of it, according you know according to what we do have, is back in about the 800 A.D. somewhere around that period, um, there was a mention in a medical journal in the Persian a Persian physician by the name of Aziz, and that is the first mention that we know of of the plant uh, not called by coffee, and that's where it's kind of you know uh, our an argument about it, whether or not that's it, but it oh. talked about a plant that when you ate the leaves, it would give you extra energy and focus and things like that. And so Rejuvenate rejuvenate that was, you. It was a exactly. So then much, much later, it was in the 1500s that according to the folklore of it, a young boy, his name was Kaldi, and uh, he was a goat herder, and his goats took off into a hill a little bit from a trail, and they didn't come back, and he got concerned. So when he went and found them, they were just dancing on their hind legs all over the place, and he joined them. And he, he played a little pan flute type of thing, and he plays flute with them and stuff. And from there... Now, of, now, now you know, were, were scones involved? Did they have American scones <laughs> at the ready? Well, actually... Here's the interesting thing. So, no, not scones, but it was actually the coffee itself. At that time, again, the, the story continues that he ate the leaves, and it wasn't the berries. It was actually the leaves of the plant, which does contain caffeine. But as the in the Arab you know, cultures of the time, when coffee first was discovered for quite a long time, it was not roasted and brewed like we know it. It, it was ground up and then mixed with animal fat and eaten kind of like you'd eat an energy bar. And that was caffeine. That was coffee. They didn't call it coffee at the time. And what then did it they wasn't call it? Is, is, is that lost to time? Is there like a name to go along with that there, quote unquote product? There's different opinions of it as towards, you know, um, certain locations, you know, that it was being grown and stuff, that cafe, or I'm not really sure the exact terminology from you know, the Arab standpoint of it, but. Um, it's kind of hard to really pin down exactly what where the term coffee came from exactly, but huh. they did. So yeah, I remember it was a uh, kawa uh, was the Arab term Q A H W A, which in according to what I understand, it was uh, meant wine in Arab, but that is debatable because there's you know, other terms that they say came from as well. Now, Mocha, Java, we'll come to that down the road. Those are specific locations and, and seaports, actually, that it got shipped out of. So then it took on the name of that. But um, originally, that's according to the stories, is that Kawa uh, in Arab meant wine, and that's what they first called it. And then the name coffee kind of came from that. But, again, that's debatable. So. So so where yeah. so take me to the dawn of the beverage. Well, that's it. So once with you know in the early 1500s, this is you know the furthest back we really know. It really took hold in the Arab world, and um, coffee houses or you know tents. I don't know how long say they had it. They started to uh, spread around, and of course they started consuming it by eating it. 
but then they're, they would start roasting it. And they actually had a ceremony when you go into an Arab home, and it would take, you know, an hour or so to produce a cup of coffee on a small little flat, like, griddle. They would put a few beans, and with, like, a hooked little device, they would spread them around, roast them, and then serve them. Um, but then coffee houses started to pop up, and it became very popular. And actually, as I mentioned and I believe our, our initial podcast, Right off the bat, it started causing problems for authority, and this this same theme keeps coming up throughout all the societies and cultures and times that coffee was involved, because people start to get, they start talking, they get all, you know, amped up on caffeine, and they start basically talking about revolt and, and thinking right, they're, they're for getting, themselves. Uh, yeah, yeah the, the powers that be often frown upon gatherings, and that's a right, big exactly. gathering. And, and, uh, and, and like funny. you said, a, a, a big, a big amped up gathering. That's, that's a, that's right. an even worse kind of gathering. So right. exactly. yeah, go, go on. This is, I, I'm learning at this point and I do have some questions I'm going to ask you along the way, but they're ultimately, I'm looking at them now, potentially self-serving and uh, predominantly well, interesting. Absolutely. And I know, uh, uh yeah, there's so much to talk about. We're going to be coming back to certain stuff, but there are general themes as well in the coffee. And I was going to say right off the bat in the Arab world, in 1511, um, all coffee houses in Mecca were forcibly closed. And then in Constantinople, a little later than that, anyone caught drinking coffee was beaten and by the authorities. And if you were caught a second time, you were sewn into a leather bag and thrown into the river. So no. we live in good times. <laughs> now, <laughs> under the guise of what was it, was it a public? Did they view it as a, some kind of public danger, like like alcohol? Like they can make the case for alcohol, or did what was the climate in a different way. that allowed that? You know, so back at that time in the Muslim world, alcohol was not uh, well. They didn't drink alcohol, so they didn't have that issue. But that does come up later. In Europe, in in uh, England, they and I'll go to that. It actually sobered up England. So that's all they did was drink all day. And then coffee came on the scene, <laughs> and it completely changed their culture. But then that led into problems of its own, which then led to King Charles II, you know, banning all coffee shops again. The you know, same issue. Um, it sobers mm-hmm. people up. It gets them talking. It gets them thinking. So in the Arab world, what it was doing was just causing problems where, again, revolt, you know, revolution. People were getting together. They were getting clear-minded, and they were thinking and talking. And any tyrants, which most histories, authorities were tyrants, mm-hmm. um, that is a major constant problem is people getting together, thinking for themselves, and talking to others and spreading ideas of revolution. So, so, so do you think, I mean, do you think it's, you think it's as simple as them being caffeinated, or is there something else to be said about coffee? That I, I mean, what could you say? It's good. People want it. They'll gather and for a chance to have some. They get their head cleared up. They get their dander up, you know, because of the caffeine. But it, but it strikes me well, as there's something even more inherent to it. There's like there's there there's, a little, there's a little craziness in that cup, you know. But there's also you gotta put yourself in this in the in that period of time. These for us, we're so overwhelmed by choices. You know, we could turn to any direction and find something, you know, that in, it excites us in one form or another. Well back then, you gotta think, they didn't have 
choices. They didn't have anything. So now you have this amazingly smooth, warm, tasty, and, you know, simulating drink where before that they didn't have anything to drink except, you know, water from the river pretty much. So that's like, you know, being in the desert for a month and all of a sudden somebody gives you a soda or, you know, a glass of water. It's going to be the best damn glass of water or best soda you ever had in your life. <laughs> so that's on a, on a entire society level. You know, that was huge to them. Whereas us, it's like, yeah, coffee, yeah, I drink it every day. I can get it anywhere, you know. So I don't know how to put that any that, better. It, yeah, it was that's, huge. It, that's, that that kind of answers one of the questions because one of my first questions was actually my first question was, so I come from the world of cigars, and it's not a very, it's just, it's not as socially progressive of a group of individuals as is coffee. And I was surprised how, I don't want to say social justice or anything like that, it, that, that has, that could be taken derogatory, you know, derogatory manner, but they, the coffee people, the people involved with coffee, whether it's people like you creating it, whether it's people growing it, whether it's people just drinking it, there's a certain amount of social awareness that's in that whole group of folk. And my question was if it was always like that. And what I'm hearing from you is that, yeah, it was always like that. It was always an outlet for, I, I want to almost say progressive thinking, it, taking the politics out of the word progressive. It's it's always been kind of like uh, it's 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 stimulating. So why would that be any different? So yeah, it's just interesting to me that it's almost, from my perspective, it's almost entwined with social movements, coffee, and I think that's so what you're it, getting at. Well, and well, there's and exactly on that point. If I could quote somebody, uh, uh, he wrote a book. It's called All About Coffee. His name was William Euchers. And there's a very specific quote that is exactly that, if I can say this quickly. Wherever mm -hmm. it has been introduced, and I have this written down, so I'm not remembering this for everybody, but this is an important <laughs> part. Wherever it has been, <laughs> no, I'm that good, actually. <laughs> Wherever it has been introduced, it has spelled revolution. It has been the world's most radical drink in that its function has always been to make people think. And when the people begin to think, they become dangerous to tyrants. And that's mm -hmm. it. It, it, you know, it, it doesn't need to reinvent its own wheel. It does what it does, and, and wherever it did it, it caused problems for those who wanted social control. And, and, you know, and, that, and that ties in really close with the, the last episode. As soon as it aired, people wanted us to expand on the art, the art behind coffee, or the artistic endeavors associated with the cafe life. And that's just, that's a natural thing that comes out of that is creation. You're creating maybe not a revolution. Maybe you're creating a painting. Maybe you're creating a piece of literature. Or, or maybe you are creating a revolution. But there's, there's, such yeah. a, there's such a deep creative aspect of coffee that we probably will have to touch on because I'm still getting people asking for more of that. If there is not a, a better, if there is not a, be, a better artistic expression than our freedom, you know, and the, the the breaking down of tyranny. I don't know what humans exist for. Uh, that is probably <laughs> what we have done the best creatively in our time as a species. I mean, amongst many other things in our 
psyche and our, you know, just the natural order of humans, that that's the one thing that no matter what, we strive to be free and to be creative. And that's hmm. what we do best as a species, I would say, at a fundamental level. And so, yeah, I mean, we could go really deep, you know, or we could just keep this surface. Oh, it's coffee and it's tasty and stimulating. But actually, you know, <laughs> what it is, it's awakening what's so innate in, in the human experience. It, it helps us wake up to being alive and to, hey, you know what? I had this thought and this idea and I don't agree with this or that. And, and then just share that and, with another person. And then, yeah, so it grows from there. And, and, and I would say we kind of innately know that. And that's maybe the metaphysical draw of coffee. That's the craziness in well, the cup that I talked about. That's, that's, the, uh, that's the intangible. You and know. Let, me, let me add to this, too. The, the, again, where humans get creative and artistic, we drink coffee to get stimulated and to get together and talk and think. And then we drink alcohol to loosen up and act, you know, outside of what we would normally act, you know, get rid of our, our uh, controls and all that. So, right. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, just to give a little perspective here, imagine being an alien looking at us like, God, these things are so complex, but really it comes down to one thing. They get really propped up on caffeine. And then they drink alcohol and they actually go do the things that they talked about doing when they fucked up on the caffeine because now they don't have self-control. Wow. (laughs) So complex, but we really do simplify it. (laughs) So, so, okay. So where are we at in the history timeline? Let's, let's read from there. With that being said, and that actually does lead into what happened once it started to enter Europe and stuff. But, um, as towards the timelines go, you know, it became very popular in the Arab world. And then from there, um, the once it, you know, in Constantinople, after they had banned it, then it just kind of forced its way back on the scene. So now Turkey had become a very, very important um, in the coffee scene at that time. They basically were the ones that had the monopoly on it. And when they, uh, when the Turks, the Ottoman Turks, took over Yemen, it was around the 15, uh, early 1500s, um, they started trading out of the port of Mocha and the trade routes would go through to Suez. And then, which is really neat here, the Alexandria where the warehouses, you know, we know as the library of Alexandria, that was also those warehouses were the major, major warehouses for the Venetian traders, the French traders at that time. And that was basically your, you know, Los Angeles port, you know, it was the huge, huge trade port out of Alexandria. So the Turks had a huge monopoly on that to the point where the Turks had such a, tra- uh, a, a stronghold on it that, or the monopoly on it, that any bean, no beans could leave the country unless they were boiled or roasted so that they could not germinate. And now this leads to an, a huge, huge important uh, segue. A guy, and this is true, Baba Boudin was a uh, migrant moving through and he taped seven seeds to his stomach and smuggled them out of the country to India. Now that then became a whole other branch of coffee, which then comes back later with the Dutch traders and stuff um, and how they took some of those trees far down the road. It gets very, it just, but that's the growth of coffee, how it spread around the world. But it was because he taped seven seeds to his stomach and it was upon death, you know, if you were found to be smuggling this. So, right. again, they had a monopoly on it, and it was one of the largest commodities at that time. And out of Alexandria was the only way that you could get it, but that was also the entry of coffee into Italy, into France, and uh, Europe. From there was the Venetian traders, the French traders of Alexandria. 
So this is still way, way, way back. We're not even into the 1600s. You know, basically right at 1600s is when uh, Baba Budan uh, smuggled those seeds to India. And then it was the Dutch who transplanted the trees from India to Java, Sumatra, East India. And then it goes from there into the East India Trading Company. And then that leads to Latin America, starting with Brazil, which is a huge, huge uh, milestone on the timeline of coffee and how it affected the world, you know, commerce and so on and so forth. From there. Right. But just that period, it was just such, we're talking like gold in history. We think of things like commodities. Coffee mm. was the powerhouse amongst a very few of trade. And in that period between, you know, 1500 to 1700, it basically set the tone and a neat point to throw out there briefly in Turkey in the early, you know, 15, uh, 15 into 1600s, coffee was so important, not only in commerce, but in the household and the society that it was, um, if a husband or, you know, in a family household, it was, or lack of sufficient coffee was grounds for divorce legally. <laughs> that, that was so, part of so the that... You couldn't supply coffee, you'd get divorced. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that answers yet so another all you guys question. out there, make sure that you got, you got coffee for your, your lady. Whatever. Yeah. Well, well how, how about the ladies worry about that a little too? Come on. Yeah, I know. Value I know. <laughs> that, that that answers one of my other questions because I was wondering if it was ever a thing for royalty, if it was ever not for the common man, not for the lower classes, if it was ever oh no 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 actually high society. No, it actually the the aristocratic and it it wasn't for the lower classes until much 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 later, basically the industrial oh, okay. revolution. Yeah, so all throughout history, again, because it was such a sought-after commodity, only the wealthy could really afford it. And there wasn't, uh, yeah, there wasn't uh, really an opportunity for lower classes to have access to it until the Industrial Revolution, which, again, is a significant part. And we talked about the break, you know, at work and stuff, and that's kind of where it started when the Industrial Revolution began, but this was, you know, 1750 or so, and people started, they're starting to move from the farms into the cities to work in these mills, and right. because it was just such appalling conditions, they didn't have anything but bread and coffee to live on, and that also ties into Brazil because their production of coffee was so large that they could drop the price, and now, and they did that on purpose, and now the the low class, lower class could afford to drink coffee. So there's a couple factors in there as to how and why that changed. That's that seems uh, like a such a pivotal point in history that uh, we're not going to be able to delve too deep into it because this isn't a 14 hour long podcast. But no, there no. seems to be a lot well, of stuff. What I can do, and, and anytime, anytime the higher classes have to give up something that's their own. It seems to me it never comes about very easily. There has to be some kind of strength well, that is behind. And let me let me jump back in here because this is actually now a really colorful period that we do want to definitely get in here between basically 1650 up to 1800. If I might just riddle off some key points here, timeline uh, sure. milestones. Um, so in about 1650, coffee entered England and it took over. And we think, you know, the English drink tea, and they do very much. But that was very specifically 
uh, changed. At first, it was coffee, and that's where the term penny universities for cafes came along, where you could go and for a cup of coffee, just listen to people talk, and you'll, you'll get a degree. Because it wasn't just aristocratic and the wealthy class. It was, it was all types of folks that would come together. But in this case, in England, it was you know, scientists. And, and each cafe kind of had its own genre or its own demographic. So if you wanted to learn a certain subject, you'd go to a certain cafe to back with your cup of coffee and listen huh. to the conversations being had. And you get a download on that subject. So that was really cool, you know, how that took over. And that was 1650. But here's the thing, and I mentioned before about coffee. Before the coffee houses in England, before coffee had come in so dominantly, everybody just got plastered on alcohol day. And that was, if you look at history, in that special period, even in the Americas, because they couldn't drink water. It had, you know, parasites and stuff. So everything was alcohol. And people couldn't mm. go and run their businesses. They couldn't go work in the factories. And so when coffee first came along, it sobered up England to where now, as a country, they're getting more productive. But then that turned around, and uh, the women's petition against coffee came along, where women were now by the thousands signing this petition to ban coffee because now their husbands were going and getting all propped up on coffee in the morning. Then they get all drunk at night. Then they go back to the cafes to get sobered up on coffee, and by the time they come home, they're not worth anything to their wives. You know, so the, the women were saying, "Forget this. This is we've created a monster here." And so, in so, so it's almost like the temperance movement. Well, and that's what I was talking about before. We go back and forth. We get sobered up on coffee, and then we go get drunk, and then we get sobered up on coffee. So, you know, but then in 1675, uh, King Charles II, and this is cool too, King Charles II banned coffee houses because people were being unproductive and just hanging out all day, you know, drinking coffee and alcohol and talking and not working. And they were also talking about revolt. Well, that, and he made, he made a law to ban all coffee houses. That lasted one week. And he withdrew the ban because they were going to overthrow the government if they banned coffee. And that's what wow. So the king backed down and said, okay, never mind. I'm cool. You know, we're, we're okay. <laughs> As you so, were. That's how, <laughs> that's how significant, you know, it had political clout. And so here's another important point. In 1700s in England, um, they moved from coffee to tea because it was easier to brew. It didn't have to be roasted. And, of course, the East India Trading Company, which worked in the Indies, tea was grown over there um, right. in India. And so they started to ship that to really push that product. And that's when coffee moved away from being the dominant uh, place in England. But then that leads very importantly into the American colonies. And the in 1689, um, the first American coffee house was opened, but then in 1697, there was a coffee house in Boston by the name of the Green Dragon. And that coffee house lasted from 1697 to 1832. And wow. some of its frequent daily customers were people like John Adams, Paul Revere, some significant names we know that restructured, you know, our, what we know now as you know, the United States of America, whatever that is. So, <laughs> These guys were drinking coffee, and then that's where the Boston Tea Party came in because they wanted to break away, of course, from the control, the British control. So they banned all tea, and coffee now took a dominant hold in the Americas or North America. And then now here's the dark side of coffee. And everything prior to this, the Arab cultures, you know, in their timeline back in the 1500s, not to say that 
slavery has not always had a place in all history, but it was a much different right. situation the way that it was working back then compared to how and when it entered Latin America. And that's where, unfortunately, coffee has a very dark history, um, along with sugar cane, along with tobacco, you know, and those, and this ties back into the East India Trading Company and the French, you know, and the Dutch, the colonies that came over into the Portuguese in Brazil. Uh, so there's no one culture or, you know, country or peoples that I'm uh, pointing the finger at and now going into this part of the history. It's just that period where slave labor took a very strong hold on the global, you know, landscape. So, unfortunately, at that point, 1800s, um, or 1750, let's say, the sugar, uh, sugar coffee and slaves into Latin America became the major drive and environmental damage and is unbelievable. Starting in Brazil um, and the amounts of slaves that they're bringing over from Africa to maintain these coffee farms and just, again, appalling conditions, terrible situation. And there were times, you know, it did over time change to a whole series of events. Um, but then when the French, and about earlier, actually, uh, the, the French brought coffee into Haiti. And hmm. this is the interesting part, that there was, this is about the uh, Napoleonic period, uh, much earlier, that when they first started it there on slave labor, the slaves actually took over, and it was one of the most, the only successful slave revolts that we know of in history on this scale. And they did. The slaves took over the uh, coffee farms and, you know, killed all the people that ran them. And then Napoleon sent troops over to take them back. But the thing is, is even the slaves themselves, to maintain the coffee farms, they kind of created state slavery, you know, in doing so. So even, you know, it didn't leave. Anyway, that's a little side item there, but that is the history of Haiti. <laughs> that, that, that's a pleasant little side note. Thank you for yeah, a little side note out there. <laughs> but then it was Brazil because of cheap labor and everything that they had, you know, at the time that Brazil really changed the entire landscape of coffee production and growth. And so that's where I mentioned earlier that they were able to drop the prices really low. And now the lower class worldwide in Europe, America uh, could have access to coffee and then from there it moved to venezuela and into you know colombia and it was colombia that really established sorry i i was just going to ask because because it, it's it seems hand in hand when you're bringing it to the masses you're bringing it to more people and that seems hand in hand with the industrial revolution that you had mentioned a couple of times before and are, are there any are there any key points to that, like uh, like when they started roasting greater amounts of beans, when they started being able to handle greater amounts of demand? Like, how, how does that look historically? Are there any highlights to that? Absolutely, and actually, we all know the name of Folger. Um, his name was actually James Folger, and it was in 18, around the 1850s in San Francisco that that's where Folger's coffee comes from, as James Folger was you know, the first production roaster on that scale in the United States. Before, again, you got, you know, it's kind of hard to answer your question in one sentence or in one way because there's obviously different influences and things going on. Right. Um, Industrial Revolution, of course, made the world – that much smaller in the sense of now, you know, production and machinery and organization of peoples and stuff. Trade routes are pretty well established. 
So there's a lot in there that we could unpack as towards what we're calling in a simple term industrial revolution. That's you know, a huge, huge worldwide social revolution, really, um, on the right. scale of people trade and consume and you know all that kind of stuff, manage the land. So again, you know, slavery went through a huge evolution because now there's there's more costs associated with you know shipping slaves and of course legalities. Now it's becoming international law. So you know that that changed not just by one decision that on it wasn't just a moral decision that this isn't the right thing to do. It became problematic in in other ways as well, and that had its influence. But then you have different you know, uh, consumer trends, you know, just all so many things. It's kind of hard to throw them out there in an order. So I don't want to go on right. a tangent here trying to define what the industrial <laughs> revolution was, but it was a huge, huge moment in the human experience, you know, that our very long timeline of how we do things. And honestly, we're still in the infantile stage of it just a couple hundred years after. And now we see, Oh my God, what a repercussion of changing from a simple agrarian lifestyle, you know, sustenance farming and stuff to mass production movement of products, people's, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, let me, me, it it does help. And let me dumb it down a little bit. Um, Something that's curious to me personally is once it hits the masses, once, once a, a guy making a couple of bucks a week could divorce his wife because she didn't furnish coffee or vice versa, once it gets to the common man, how, how, are, how is it being prepared? How is it being received? Is it being received roasted or is it something, is roasting something that would occur in the household? Uh, like, what, what's the process like? How did they make it into a cup of coffee? Well, that's actually a good question. You know, you would think it's just coffee, you roast it, you grind it, you brew it, you know, and you're standard brewer. But in fact, there's been a massive amount of technological advances, uh, starting with, you know, in Italy. And I I apologize, I don't have the name off the tip of my tongue, who invented the espresso machine where under high temperature and high pressure, uh, where an espresso is made, which takes a very specific, you know, technological device. You can't just boil water and pour it over ground coffee. And so up to that date and that, that period, exactly that. It was very rudimentary in the sense that you would roast it on a skillet or in a pan over a fire, and then you would grind it. And something I didn't really touch on, back in the era of world, what we know coffee as, like I said, when it was first discovered for a long time, they would eat it. And they right. would mix it with animal fat and other things. But then for a very long period of time, when they would brew it, they would mix it with cardamom and cinnamon and you know other herbs and spices. Turkish coffee. Yeah, Turkish coffee as we know it. You know, if, if anybody can visualize or if they've seen how Turkish coffee is made in the small copper, uh, kind of mm-hmm. like an hourglass-shaped device with a long handle, and they put it down into a sand pit, that that sand pit is being heated by a fire under it. A beautiful, beautiful uh, process to watch it made. Uh, right. But they would mix it with, again, these other spices, and it was a much different drink. Well, that's what it was for, a very obviously, hundreds of years, you know, until the technology came on the scene in Italy. And then from there, now brewers are being produced. And um, I could even go further into that, but in general, it was that technological shift that brought us to what we know now is, you know, the espresso and, and things like that. But outside of that, even you know, in my own little personal story, I had a mentor, a roaster, when I first started roasting, and he's, you know, 
one of the world's leading judges for coffee. He's a he's part of the Roasters Guild of America, you know, for many years. And he broke it down and said, man, at the end of the day, it's just boiled water over ground coffee. You know, don't make such a big deal about it. <laughs> and I think uh. the pop, you know, we, we do it for the marketing, we do it for the advertising, for the industry, because that's what people like to see. But we, it's pretty simple at the end of the day. So anyway, to answer your question, sorry for too much off there. Um, <laughs> when I first came out, it was shipped up, and then people would usually roast it by themselves. And until James Folger really started roasting on the production level, commercial-wise, it was different how people would go to their local market, and you can imagine back then kind of like bulk bins. You would buy yeah. your coffee green, and then you would roast it at home. It wasn't roasted prior by a commercial roaster. You know, it was James uh, Folger that created the commercial roaster that's, concept, that's, at least in America. That's, that's interesting to me because it seems counterintuitive to what I think anyway because I, I could envision a point in time when there's a bunch of uh, now you would call them craft roasters. There would be like one guy in the neighborhood or in the village that roasts it, and people come and pick it up from him. But you're saying that well, that, that, didn't that really happened that way, or is it, did both things? No, happen? I apologize. I guess I guess I'm speaking from a concept of like you know source uh, where it's grown to where then it's it's consumed. So no, all the way back to even the Arab cultures, like I said, they had coffee. They didn't have coffee shops. They had like coffee tents, you know yurts you would go to and there was somebody that would produce and prepare it for you and you would trade them whatever pay them whatever so no i'm sorry that that is correct is that so 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 you so you could now? also so you could also hang around the tent and drink your coffee or you could go down there and pick up the week supply of coffee for you and take it back and right your own there were the both just like us you can go to your local place you know this goes back to the 1500s you can go to your local tent you can go to your local coffee shop and buy your latte or your your cup of coffee pre-prepared or you can buy your pound and take it home and produce it yourself and so like i mentioned you know in the arab culture at that time they had ceremonies at home where they'd invite friends over and they would prepare the coffee right there you know for as a ceremonial event for their guests, or you can go to your local places and meet with your friends and have a cup of coffee. It's that hasn't changed ever since coffee was so, began to be brewed. So this this enters somewhat of a place where I could squeeze a listener question in, and um, it's nothing that was mandated by anything we spoke about, but it was just a free floating question I received that I found to be interesting. This was coming. This is a question coming my way from a cigar guy. And he is getting into, didn't want me to use his name, but he's getting into uh, specialty coffee, I guess you'd call it. And the first thing oh, that yeah. he realized is that there aren't like cigar shops within specialty coffee, meaning when you go into a specialty roaster, you're buying what they roasted. And he was wondering if there was ever like a cigar shop, but for coffee. In other words, when you go into a cigar shop, Right. You have cigars made by several different manufacturers, blended by several different people, and you have a merchant selling all these. And that struck me as a really interesting question because it's not like that now, if it was ever like that, where you could go to a shop and go, oh, I want that bean roasted that way. It doesn't have to be roasted in-house. It could just be something that, like again, like a merchant would have. So I, I don't know well, if that was a thing, if that makes sense to you, if I relate that properly. 
the culture of coffee and especially from a roaster standpoint, we, we are doing that. We're just doing it under our brand, you know, that when you come to say, uh, our, my roastery, for instance, I would say, okay, I have these single origins and each one has its own character traits. You know, and this one was roasted this way. This is a light roast. This is a dark roast. You're going to pick up this. How do you like to brew your coffee? Okay. I recommend this one for you, but we're doing it with our own. So I am the, I am, I don't know how to equate it exactly, you know, articulate wise, but I, I purchase from specific regions and farms because of what they've produced. I want to showcase what that farm used that one strain of coffee, and, and it has this amazing jasmine flavor on the back end of it. Mm. This one over here from Uganda oh, it has this amazing blueberry, you know, or this Colombian, you're going to pick up this chicory and this chocolate, nice earthy. You know, and that's what we do. That's the whole point. That's the lingo. That's how we, that's what people want to read on the label. So they are picking yeah. their different cigars, let's say, you know, per label when they look at, oh, this single origin, that really piques my interest. Yeah, and that's right. how we do it. We're showcasing what the farmers are doing. Right. And and I think that's coming for it, it, it what I first thought when I when I when I got that question was, well, you can do that. You go to Walmart and you have a bunch of different people making a bunch of different coffee with a bunch of different brands and labels. Well, no, I, I can go a step further, and actually it, 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 you do have that option. So you go to a cafe. That cafe is not their own roaster, but they purchase my coffee, my company, Global Lights Coffee, and they also purchase from a series of other companies, and they can showcase or they have them all on the menu. Oh, we have this coffee from so-and-so company. They really showcase these types of coffees. You know, Ethiopians, they have a really nice, bitter, you know, unique background on that well my company i have a different you know uh focus so cafes then can purchase from multiple different roasters and showcase all these uh, a wide variety of coffees just like you're saying with cigar i'm speaking for myself as a roaster and if i had my own cafe then i would showcase all the single origins i would be showcasing the farmers but then there's independent cafes that showcase the different roasters and those roasters are showcasing the farmers. You know, there's three tiers there, and they're all kind of gotcha. showcasing the prior tier. Does that help? Yeah. yeah so you know what? Far, I, I'll it. have to ask the guy. <laughs> it helps yeah, me. Go. If you're listening out there, uh, you know, sorry, that is your question. <laughs> yeah, and, and, so. and if there's any follow-up questions, don't forget not to ask them, because I think we touched on that well enough. <laughs> but, you know, and, and another thing, just to get my three questions out of the way, I have just one more question. You mentioned that your your mentor figure, he said uh, something to the effect, I don't want, I'm going to grossly maybe paraphrase you, but it, it's beans and water. And uh, when I, we've talked about this before, I don't know if I've talked about it publicly, but when I moved over from reviewing cigars to coffee, I was surprised that there weren't a million other people doing it. I'm not saying I'm the only person doing it, far be it from that, but there seems to be more of a focus on, again, like the social aspect of it and what a company does that way than what the stuff actually tastes like. And we're going to talk about this. I don't want to blow a wad on this now because we have a whole episode coming up about tasting. But was there, you know, going back in time, let me take advantage of the historical topic that we're doing right now. Was there ever a point in time where there were more was there there were more critics of coffee, more critical reviews 
was that ever a more popular oh. thing? Like, like wine. Like, like wine. We're humans. Well, but we're humans. That's what we do. We, we critique everything. And, you know, not to negate that, that's part of you know, our experience. Do we like it or do we not? So I'm sure there's always been critics. Honestly, history, I kind of appreciate the concept that history doesn't listen to the critics. It listens more to the pragmatic, you know, whoever survived and whoever made a name for themselves, you know, critics aside. And if I might, to, to, to use that or to springboard off of that, you know, as we've talked about, we both have backgrounds in the culinary arts as chefs. And that was my big thing. The same thing there is, I'm, as we talked about before, I'm not really interested in what the critics say because it's relative. And my mentor in coffee, he, the reason why I remember that statement that he made is because that's what I agree with. And that's what I saw. I'm classical French, you know, uh, August Escoffier and hot cuisine where, yeah, you can get as elaborate and complex as you want, but at the end of the day, it's a tomato. You know, it's a, it's a carrot. Why don't you, nature did a great job by itself. Just showcase it for what it is. Don't turn it into something else. Right. And that's, I believe in that and all, but yeah, so. Crit- crit- critics, critics be damned. Power. Power to the people, and don't forget to uh, read my coffee reviews at www.capos.com. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. You're a critic, too. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> the Capu Critic Club. Yeah, you're nice to talk to. I'm, I'm, one, I'm one of the good ones. You give me good reviews. I'm one of the good ones. <laughs> <laughs> well, so there's, there's my load. Where are you at with, with our little delving into and again this is not in a podcast format like this or like any podcast format I could think of we're not going to touch on every historical point and and really what my focus my goal is with this is to get people interested enough in it that they go down the rabbit hole so don't feel like you're not delving deep enough I kind of want to whet an appetite or two no, let me let me piggyback on that because this is, you know, thank you for bringing that up. My, I own this company, and I roast coffee, you know, and that's what I do. Okay, that's the box I fit into in a very simplistic way. But my passion is history. My passion is the human experience. You know, there, there was a guy, if anybody knows, his name is Joseph Campbell, a great professor in mythology, very right. famous for, you know, power of myth, if you ever come across it. In an interview, in that book or that interview, he was asked by Bill Moyers, you know, in your experience of all the experience of all these cultures and these myths and legends, what, what is the point of being alive? And he said, well, simple. It's to fully experience the rapture of being alive. You know, so I say that because coffee, food, and these things are always there. They are, right, they are the human experience in so many ways. And so when I talk about this, I can get passionate. I can get in depth, not because of coffee as a singular standpoint, but the journey, the adventure, the, we've lost our connection. Well, I, I know I mentioned this. We've lost a lot of things where we're at right now. <laughs> but we, we forget the color of the past, of just so much depth. And when I think about this, when I talk about this, I can smell the air in the Arab, you know, it, it, the cafe or tent you know i could i could feel it i vicariously get to travel through time as i think about this talk about it that's not what i do every day while i'm roasting coffee of course but i built a vehicle in this business that allows me to be a part of the entirety of the human experience 
And the more that I, I maintain that focus versus just the mundane, make some money, sell the product, you know, it, it keeps me alive versus right. the stagnation of just sell a product because people are buying it. You know, it keeps me fluid. It keeps me alive. It reminds me of where people were and what they went through, you know, and, and there's pros and cons to all things in history. You know, I don't mean to make a dark history about coffee, nor do I mean to mean to over romanticize it. But what I'm sharing with yourself and with any listeners out there is, you know, the, again, the rapture of being alive. And so through this vehicle, like I said, as there are many of them, we can look back behind us and go, wow, it's, it's been a heck of a show, heck of a journey. And so what that's what I'm trying to share is what a freaking ride. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. And, and it's good to be away for a hell of a ride. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. It, it, we could always add to this. It's it's a mini series for now in six parts, but we could always add to this. And uh, I think yeah, and we should. And, I, I mean, do you feel like you yeah. do you think you left anything on the table for this episode that you want to get off your chest and put out there, or do you think we went enough well, appetites? I think we got you all thinking, and I'm curious about that. Send us your your ideas and thoughts and questions. We'd love to hear it. And of course, you know, if you don't feel you were stimulated enough, you can go to globalites.com and order a coffee, and we will certainly get you thinking. So, there you go. Yeah. There you go. And uh, if anybody does want to get a hold of me, the email address is always the same. It's media at mail.com. Um, yeah. Let, let's let's well, go deeper, but for now, uh, let's not, because I am actually going to have a late night pot of coffee, and I got some work to do here. But uh, I, I appreciate my time second right glass of wine. So, yeah, yeah I, I'm not <laughs> well, looking at you, wine for another maybe four hours, but um, I am looking at it. So yeah, thanks a lot for well, thanks a lot for calling in. And next time we'll be back at the tasting room, and things will be a little more normal, if I could use that word. But uh, yeah. Right. That's that's in a couple of weeks from now, and this has been great. And, again, Michael, thanks a lot for the time and energy. I appreciate it, and I'll talk to yep. you in a bit. Well, thank you, everyone. Thank you, Cap. Enjoy your day. All right. Amazing. I, I didn't like that one. I didn't like that one. <laughs>